Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Professor Liam O'Mahony, who's the Professor of Immunology at APC Microborne at USA, our microbiome at, at UCC, and he joins me. Liam, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Um, as I said, this came to light to us anyway, maybe September, October last year through a Facebook group. When did you and your team first start hearing about long-term effects of covid Exactly around the same time. And we were very fortunate that Dr. Karina Sadler in the CUH, the consultant ID physician there, started a a, a clinic to um, bring people back after they've been in hospital with COVID. And that was really the beginning of us looking from my side at the you know immunology and seeing that there were still differences in the immunology of people with long COVID that we didn't expect. So it was to the second half definitely of last year and the beginning of this year when when we started doing that. Is it now an established proportion of people who get COVID? Like, is, Can you say now that there's a certain, I think the statistical term is baked in percentage that will get it? You know, there still isn't really. Um, things are gravitating towards the 5 to 10% perhaps, mm-hmm. um, but still the definitive studies, and particularly within the Irish population, have yet to be done. And we are hoping to do a questionnaire-based study uh, in a few weeks' time that we'll be sending out to everybody to try and get an idea of, within the community, how many people are suffering from long COVID-associated symptoms. There was an interesting paper I read recently about, is it long covid or is it just what we used to call post-viral sim- syndrome, which a lot of people get anyway? Is it a different type of illness? Do you think it is? So yeah, post-viral illnesses have been well described in the past. You know, even for the influenza 1918 you know, pandemic, there was you know, lingering symptoms at the time. They described them you know, as a kind of a, a fatigue type, type of syndrome. So it's true that it may not be the first time, but I think it's still equally important because you know, if we can understand why people are getting these symptoms, whether they've been happening before or not, you know, perhaps this will help us to understand what will also happen in the future uh, when people get serious virus, uh, viral illnesses and help us not just with COVID, but also with other uh, viral uh, diseases. Of the people that I interviewed, a number of them spring to mind, but they had been previously fit and active people and quite young too. Correct, yeah. So they, it doesn't follow the same... Um, I suppose, epidemiological associations of severity in the acute phase of the disease where 
you know, uh, age, for instance, is the most important factor for severe disease. That doesn't seem to be the case for long COVID. Now, it does seem that while children can get long COVID and have been described to get long COVID, they seem to be at less of a risk of developing long COVID compared to adults. But adults in general can be young, fit people or older um, people. It doesn't seem to associate with age like we see with the acute phase of disease. Mm. Is there a symptom pattern? We hear of things like brain fog. Um, I, I know one person in particular, a friend of mine, Dublin-based, who would have been quite fit and quite healthy and could barely climb the stairs for, for nearly three months and still struggles to run a 2K run when she used to run a 5K quite regularly. Yeah, this is not a, a unique uh, story. I mean, there was a, a report recently that put together all the symptoms that people reported on COVID, and they had a list of nearly 200 different symptoms. So it's really a very varied uh, syndrome. It's not a single disease. I think people experience symptoms for different reasons biologically. So, for example, those perhaps who had a, a very serious lung infection and had some scarring, you know, the breathlessness associated with that would be very different to someone who had a much milder disease, but still experiences fatigue. So there's not a physical scarring, there's something else going on there. So there'll be a number of different reasons will behind uh, the symptomologies, and mm. the symptoms are really varied, but fatigue, brain fog are you know, some of the more common uh, symptoms yeah. that people complain of. Long-term damage to the lungs is a very worrying element. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is where vaccination has really helped us because, you know, while we can see that people still may get a, an upper respiratory tract infection, so, you know, of the nose, for, for instance, that really serious disease that gets down into the lungs, it's really largely being prevented by vaccination, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah, and, and even the people who are ending up in hospital with vaccination, despite it being vaccinated, and even the people ending up in hospital at the moment, we find that their stay in hospital is shorter than it was, isn't it? That's right. So vaccination has really done what it's supposed to do in that it has reduced the risk of people really getting very ill. You know, you can still get an infection, but overall, it seems to really reduce that risk profile. So, you know, someone... Uh, but remember, it doesn't remove it completely. So it's not that you have the yeah. shell around you that completely blocks everything that comes in. You will still react to and uh, with COVID, with SARS-CoV-2, if you encounter it. But hopefully, you should be protected from having a very serious disease. Yeah, you were quoted recently, uh, Liam, in the Echo, as saying that parents should use their best judgment on children and the return to school. What, what did you mean by that? So I think, first of all, it's important to say that the schools are really a well-controlled and safe environment for children. And in the past, the rate of virus transmission within schools was lower than that seen within the general community, which suggests that actually children are better off being in school and they're protected uh, more than if they're out uh, and not being in school. But that said, the risk of transmission increases with the activities that happen around the school. So, you know, how does your school, or sorry, how does your child go to and from school? You know, what do they do at lunchtime? Do they all go down to the coffee shop on the high street together and forget completely about social distancing, masks, etc.? So my advice there for parents is really to have a look at your child's day in its entirety and see where are the risky scenarios or environments. 
uh, around the school that might be that you could identify and talk with your child about. And and this is where I think the, the, the parent really needs to exercise their best judgment as to, yes, that's a risky scenario or environment mm-hmm. or you know, the child should do this or not do that. So that's really what that comment was relating to. And I suppose if your child has any kind of uh, an underlying condition, then you, you would have to make some hard decisions, wouldn't you? Exactly. And so I think it's very hard to make, you know, overall recommendations that apply to everybody that really, you know, they're very, very specific scenarios that are unique to different families. And and that's really what I'm urging parents to do is to really think about this and see, you know, where do you need to be more careful and where can you be more relaxed? Yeah. What do you make of this? I just was outlining uh, it there as I was waiting for you to come on the line. Uh, this discussion going on between HEQA and NEFET with regard to a possible, um, a possible compulsory mask wearing for the under 12s in school. Where would you stand on that? So, I, I, I mean, I, I would trust their recommendation whichever way it goes because I'm sure it would be based on the data that's available for, you know, the risk level and how that risk uh, can be impacted by mask wearing. So, uh, I, you know, in the past they have really stood as well with the recommendations that they've made and I'm sure this one will be equally well thought out. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we look forward to hearing uh, what they recommend. And lastly, Liam, in terms of medicines for people with long COVID, are we using established drugs or are there experiments going on as to what we might use? Are there established drugs that help, for example? So it's still a little bit of, um, you know, test and see. So, you know, with the patient representatives, the clinicians and the researchers, I think we're all working together to try and match up the patient experience or the symptoms with the observed changes in the biologies that we are now describing with then new treatments and medicines that would impact those, those symptoms. But we're really at an early stage of this, of really trying to associate the changes that we see with specific symptoms and understanding their importance to that symptom. And w- from an immune point of view, there are um, very uh, good targeted drugs out there, for instance, that are used in autoimmune diseases or allergies and asthma, that perhaps some people could benefit from some of these drugs but that will be the next phase the, the phase we're at now is really matching up the changes in the biology with the, the symptomology okay this is one that's going to be with us for a while thank you very much for being with us on the opinion line professor liam o'mahony professor of immunology at the apc microbiome at ucc's courts 96 fm